hear a few more things about, like, uh, from the tradition, how patience is talked about from some teachers, more from Ajahn Sumedho, in fact. And then uh, set up a, a theme that you might want to pick up during the lunch conversations. And I think it's going to be a, a light theme um, that will be just easy to touch from different angles and allow you to get to know each other and also just kind of share this common theme, which is we don't have enough time. You know, just how pervasive that idea is in our life. I don't have enough time. And all the different ways that we talk to ourselves and talk to each other about not having enough time, or just issues around time, how it ties into certain attitudes we have about life and about our situation. But first, just a few words about patience. First, from the Buddha, many of you have heard this. And in fact, uh, some of you I know were at Ajahn Chanako's talk uh, just last Monday or maybe two Mondays ago, I can't remember. But uh, he was reading from a text where the Buddha was speaking to 1,250 arahats, fully enlightened beings. Remember that? I, I always wondered what he meant by that talk. Like, the talk title was 1,250 arahats. But it's just an interesting um, review of the path to these wise beings. And he says to them, the first line is, Patient endurance is the ultimate austerity, sometimes translated as view, or I'm sorry, virtue. Um, so that's sort of interesting, patience as an austerity. Because there is something in patience that is this, like, we know it's good for us, but is it really good for us? <laughs> you know, it's like a little doubting Thomas there with the, with patience. Uh, Kathleen sort of mentioned that too. Like, I know I should be patient with my daughter, but I'm not. And uh, so there's a slow burn where, like, if we were already fully wise, fully loving, well, patience wouldn't be a, a problem, you know. So patience is both a means and a fruit, like a fruit of enlightenment or a fruit of being wise or being awakened or patient. But it's also a practice or a training. And so I want to just like uh, keep that in mind. One of the things Ajahn Sumedho says is that we're not just like setting the heart free, we're training the heart. Like it's a, a training we do that frees the heart. So part of this training, or most of this training, is really about um, what supports a deeper understanding of the way things are. And so when we train, when we're using patience not as a fruit, like a, a natural, effortless expression of wisdom and love, which I think it's appropriate to talk about patience in that way, but when we're talking about patience more as a means, and it might be good to distinguish those two, then, you know, in some way it's going to be hard work. And that's what we'll look at in the afternoon, you know, patience as the work of spiritual life. Or what does patience mean in terms of effort? And so I think that's what the Buddha was pointing to because, you know, the Buddha didn't care about teaching these fully enlightened beings because they were fully enlightened. What he was interested in 
is giving them some information, some distillation of what happened to them and what happened to him so that they could be good teachers for other people. You know? And so in this case, we could spend all day complaining that we're not more patient than we are and wanting to be more patient than we are. Or we could spend the day in really understanding the work or the training of patience. Like what is what kind of effort is actually skillful and what kind of effort is counterproductive? Like Kathleen suggested, wanting, that's an effort. Like to want to be patient is an effort. But that kind of effort isn't really productive of much. It's just irritating to want to be patient, wishing we were more patient than we were, that kind of judgment. So what kind of effort is useful, is productive as a means to become more patient? This is from Steve Armstrong. Some of you know he's one of our regular visiting teachers. Comes usually once a year, maybe twice a year. He said, patience means forbearance. Forgiveness with additional connotations of tolerance, gentleness, docility, and tractability. So something that's flexible and easily managed. That's what patience does. It's like a mind that we can work with because it's not uh, it's not so tight or fixed. Another way I thought just to clarify this work of patience is to, and I mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but maybe to spell it out in terms of, you know, in the Buddhist tradition, we talk about three personality types. And it's just tendencies of our conditioning. So we're sensitive. And then we have a lot of conditioning around the sensitivity that gets triggered, right? And different kinds of conditioning has different consequences. When it gets active, we get identified with it, acted out. And if there are different consequences, that's the karma piece. So this whole area of conditioning, there are different flavors. Some of us tend to be more of a diluted type. Some of us tend to be more of an aversive type. Some of us tend to be more greedy. And then some of us are really well balanced between greed, delusion, and greed, <laughs> and aversion, rather. So, but anyway, just in understanding the work of, of uh, patience, when our aversive tendencies conditioning has been triggered, then what would patience look like when we're aversive? So that means, you know, being aversive means that we're sensitive to something unpleasant, right? Because there's no aversion without unpleasantness. Something has to be unpleasant before aversion is going to get triggered. Now, if we act out aversion, we see it, it, doesn't, it isn't helpful. It sets in motion negative results. But we can be sensitive to something unpleasant, have aversion triggered, because we can't stop that. There's nothing anybody can do about that. But we can do some work here by relating to the aversion in a particular way so that something wholesome gets set in motion, not unwholesome. So just because we're experiencing something unpleasant and just because aversion has been triggered doesn't mean we have to set in motion some negative result for us down the road. In other words, really, in, maybe it was Kerry mentioned this in his comment, really difficult experience can be the ground for freedom, for real enlightenment. We don't need to have pleasant experience to be enlightened. 
we can we can realize deep insight when it's really unpleasant. <laughs> Buddha had a very provocative statement, so don't just hold this lightly, but it's it's just really useful. And he mentioned it many times, the simile of the saw. Many of you have heard this. Um, Though robbers who are highwaymen should sever your limbs with a two-handed saw, yet if you thereby defile your mind, you know, like being angry at them, uh, you would be no follower of these teachings. That's pretty intense. That, you know, like somehow we'd be able to relate to that conditioning, right? We'd be sensitive that we wouldn't defile the mind, meaning there may be aversion, there may be sort of negative reactivity triggered as we experience that pain, but we wouldn't get identified with it. We wouldn't water it. We wouldn't get attached to it. So just to hold out, he, he told these people that were listening, I'm not sure if they're monks or nuns or lay people, but he told people it would be to your advantage to remember this simile for a long time. Right? To hold that out as an ideal that no matter what comes our way, like Carrie just had knee operation a couple months ago, um, you know, difficult things happen to us. So, and we don't know when it's going to happen. And the question is, can we hold that idea, that simile in the mind that, okay, sometimes really intensely bad things will happen to me. In fact, in the long scheme of things, it's really likely that really intensely bad things will happen to me. So can I hold, have this aspiration that I don't need to get identified to the sensitivity, to the reactivity. I can relate with wisdom and love instead. Non-aversion is a possibility. Not that aversion won't, uh, won't arise, but we don't have to get identified with it. We don't have to take it personally. We can relate instead to the aversion with kindness or with compassion. Oh, of course the aversion's arising, of course, because the mind is conditioned. You know, animals, by almost definition, are conditioned to hate unpleasant experience. But I don't need to build a self around the aversion or the painful sensations. And then we have, you know, the inevitable experience of delusion, not being clear about what's going on. Now, what would patience look like with when we're not clear, when our mind is foggy, when things are confusing, like, does this person love me or not? Does he or she still love me, care about me, still want to be with me? Or, um, you know, should I practice at Common Ground Meditation Center or should I practice at this other place? Or, you know, should I have this job or take my chances and look for another job? Or should I invest in gold? Or should I invest in the stock market? You know? Or should I, you know, put something under my pillow or under my bed? You know, what should I do? And uh, so a lot of time in life, especially when we're honest, we realize we don't know. We don't actually know what we should do. And then, then the question is, well, what is wisdom or patience how do we train in patience not with not knowing? Because, you know, it's easy to get restless. It's easy to get graspy 
when we don't know, like quickly. And so then people gravitate towards people who have the answer. Not that they actually have the answer, but they're certain that they have the answer. And we're really gravitating towards their certainty, not that their answer actually makes sense. I mean, just think about what human beings can get seduced by, you know, in terms of advertising or politics or religious teachings, leaders. You know, it's amazing, like from an outside point of view, for us to say, oh my God, people trust that or people want to do that or people are willing to put money into that. So from the outside, you know, it's easy to see, but from the inside, when we really need certainty, when we're averse to uncertainty, to not knowing. So this is the training of being patient with not knowing. Not believing that not knowing is wrong or that there's no happiness in not knowing. The heart can't be relaxed. The heart can't be loving or, you know, energy, life energy can't move when we don't know. The only thing that makes sense when we don't know is to freeze up. That's basically what we tell ourselves. And then we rush into relationships and we rush into this and we rush into that over and over again, looking for some certainty. So we can keep that in mind in terms of training with delusion. And then greed, how do we train with greed when greed's been triggered? So we have sensitivity and really beautiful things are around us and happening to us. And so it's going to trigger a different kind of conditioning, you know, like lust or attraction or wanting or wanting things not to change because they're so nice. Then what does patience look like there? So patience might be uh, just appreciate, like learning to appreciate the beauty or the goodness without leaning forward, without worrying about it changing. Like, like already, like one of the teaching in uh, Buddhist in Buddhist tradition is like seeing something as being already broken. So if you have a nice car now, like every time you get it, you see that it's already falling apart. That it's falling apart, its destruction has already happened. The next scratch is already on its way. And the same thing with our bodies, you know. I did a little bit more exercise uh, during my uh, four-week retreat in the spring, you know, and I noticed my body changed, you know. It started to look a little bit more firm and... (laughs) You know, and then just to just to notice that that sort of impermanence of that, like to appreciate it, but to know that it's it's just an ephemeral thing that it's just going to come and go, and not to somehow feel like I put the finger in the dike of aging, you know, and somehow <laughs> trying to sort of prevent that process from happening. Learning to be content. You know, one of the things to work with greed and craving, that tendency that causes the mind to be uneasy, but just to learn to appreciate what we have and to just draw on the satisfaction of what we have. Whatever it is, like in a few minutes we'll have lunch. And your lunch may not be what you want it to be or next to the person sitting next to you, you know. They went to the Seward Co-op and they got the cashew curry, this or that, uh, whatever, you know, and you just have this. And, but, you know, like, uh, you know, what Terry was saying, our view isn't fixed. 
So we can play with our view and we can learn to look at or to be with experience, our partners, our food, the weather, the clothes we're wearing, the way our body is today. We can learn to appreciate, see what's good, see what's beautiful in it. It may not be perfect. We're not saying it's perfect. It's not about being diluted, but it's about being balanced, not just highlighting how it could be better or in terms of aversion, highlighting how it's bad, but highlighting how it's okay or actually satisfying. Like how how often have we today reflected how nice it is to be with this group of people in this building on a nice summer day. You know, how in the great scheme of things, this is about as nice as it gets. It's so nice to be here. I want to say a few words for this theme that you can take into your lunch. Um, I don't have enough time. <laughs> and just to, you know, maybe just as a way to kick off the conversation, and not to, it doesn't need to be about this. It's really fine to talk about the weather or about your lunches or whatever you want. I mean, the idea is just to not to make it a practice. But when you do have time or when it does seem appropriate, just to look at that tendency of our minds, that strongly held belief that we are all codependently sort of holding together about rushing and not having enough time. And how it's a little bit like coffee in our culture, you know, it makes us feel alive. You know, when I tell myself I've got a lot to do or in one way, one fashion or another, I get a little buzz out of it. It's like it triggers some and in a way, probably more than coffee and green tea in my case, and other sort of stimulants, more than that, I think we're actually addicted to fear. But we don't call it fear. We just call it, i got to get this done. You know, it's like that's what keeps us going. And even on vacations, you know, people notice this of like, well, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to make this nice meal, or we're going to go to this fancy restaurant or this fun place. And it, it's like, because we've got all these things we have to do, we feel tight and that tightness that anxiety makes us feel alive and it's actually it's tragic I think when we get enough space or distance and we see what a deal we've made with the devil you know like in order to feel alive we've brought into all of this tension that we don't really feel alive unless we're tight and just you know once you start recognizing like the kind of news articles we like to read or movies we like to watch or, you know, intense tennis matches we like to play or watch or whatever it is, you know, that creates a little tension in the mind or a lot of tension in the mind. So this could be something just in a relaxed way you might just share in the group, like ways that you create this tension, this agitation as a way of feeling alive, even your hobbies. So just share some of your hobbies and how they're really wholesome in some ways and how they're neurotic in other ways. And all the different things you fill your life up with. You know, and this way you get to know each other and also sharing a little bit too about this general attitude, not enough time, this is important. Seriousness gets into this. So this is another way to bring this up. It's like, what's really serious? Even like saving the earth. You know, how we use the fear and the attachment about that to justify this sort of agitated energy that we call life. So it's uh, 1230. 
Let's have a little bit more than an hour, so we'll be ready to go at uh, 1.45. Feel free to come in a little early to sit, and uh, if you have any questions, just let me know. Have a nice lunch, everyone.